Well, the choir is being seated. Let me uh, take just a moment to thank them, to thank Jeff, all our musicians who have uh, worked so hard this holy week to bring us uh, the wonderful gift of music in our worship services. And uh, they have shared generously of their talents and their time. And I want to thank uh, all of you for blessing us in such a rich way during this, this past week. It has been uh, quite a blessing to, uh, to have all of you uh, so graciously share the, uh, the very great talents that you have. Thank you. Our scripture this morning, this Easter morning, comes from the 20th chapter of John, verses 1 through 18. This is a uh, traditional reading during Easter. There are several that that, uh, can be done from each of the Gospels. But perhaps this is the best known of any of the uh, several accounts of Jesus' resurrection that appear in the four Gospels. So hear these words from the Gospel of John. Chapter 20, verse 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter said, And the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw that the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been laid on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look, And she saw two angels sitting in the tomb where Jesus had been laid. One at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken my Lord away and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know him, did not recognize him as Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Then she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went 
and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. She told them that he had said these things to her. As God's word for us this day. Well, the first Easter didn't start well. We have the picture here of Mary going to the tomb to complete something that has not yet been had not yet been completed. Jesus crucified on Friday, and there are certain burial rites that, that take place after death. Those burial rites perhaps begun but were not completed because Sabbath was coming. And for Jewish people, at sundown on Friday, Sabbath begins. And once Sabbath begins, you are severely restricted in terms of the activities you can do and those that you cannot do. And one of the activities considered as work would have been preparing, continuing to prepare the body for burial. So it was incomplete. So if you want to know why Mary was going back to the tomb on Sunday morning, she had a specific purpose in mind to complete that ritual, to do what needed to be done. And so she goes to the tomb expecting to do that, but she also goes, remember, she's still in mourning. She's grieving about what has happened. She is greatly sorrowed. She gets to the tomb and grief turns to distress. Because much to her distress, the tomb is empty. There's no acknowledgement as to why the tomb may be empty other than the logical conclusion that Mary makes. Somebody has taken the body. The body's gone, and that which I have come to do to complete my mourning, my grieving, or at least bring it to some kind of closure, to prepare the body completely for its burial, I can't do that. Several years ago, our church took a trip to Lake Charles, Louisiana. It was right after Hurricane Katrina and Hurricane Rita, and Hurricane Rita affected the Lake Charles area much more than Hurricane Katrina did. We went to clean up a mobile home park that had been completely destroyed by tornadoes that had been an offshoot of the hurricane. We spent several days doing that, but one of the days we took out from working and we wanted to go to the coast and we just wanted to do a a survey to look at at, uh, the devastation that these storms had caused. And we went to one town that wasn't a town anymore. There was not, literally, it was nothing there. Absolutely nothing. We went a little further up the coast and we went to another town that had been severely damaged. And we went to a church that that had been uh, not completely destroyed, but certainly destroyed beyond any hope for use until there were extensive repairs made. That church had a cemetery out back. And if you're familiar with Louisiana, you know that most of the burials have to take place above ground because the water table is so high. And that was the case 
in this church cemetery. And as we were wandering around the, the grounds of the church, we wandered uh, toward the cemetery and we noticed that the mausoleums, many of them, had been unsealed, the tomb opened, and the caskets weren't there. The water level during the storms, during the hurricanes, had risen so high that it had destroyed these resting places for people. And the caskets that had been entombed literally floated out of the mausoleum areas and into the bayous so that loved ones, uh, loved ones who had been uh, carefully and lovingly attended to, placed in their final resting places, those caskets had been literally washed away and some of them still had not been found. Some of the people in that town didn't know uh, where the caskets were. They were waiting till it got uh, the water level got even lower so that perhaps they could search the bayous and find those caskets. They were distressed. We were distressed to see that. And we imagined how the families were affected by that event. Well, Mary goes to the tomb and she expects to find Jesus. And when she doesn't, her distress is beyond what we can imagine. Perhaps it's not beyond what we can imagine. Distress leads Mary to run back to where the disciples are to tell them what has happened. And distress eventually starts to become confusion. Mary tells them what happened. John and Peter specifically are hearing this. And John and Peter want to find out for themselves what happened. This happens perhaps in your household. It happens in our household from time to time. Uh, Nancy will come and and tell me, uh, for instance, uh, Greg, something's wrong with the car. It's making funny sounds. And I will usually respond, well, it's an old car. It should be making funny sounds. I'm old. I make funny sounds. She says it's making, you know, it's doing this. It's doing that. And so in order to verify this, I go to the car. Because I want to turn it on. And I want to listen to see if I hear what Nancy hears. And, And lo and behold... I hear it. Mary comes to the disciples with this distressing news. And two of the disciples take off because they want to verify it. They want to see for themselves. And they run to the tomb. And John, uh, perhaps younger, certainly faster, gets there first. And the confusion begins to to become even more so. John gets there first, but he looks in and he doesn't go in. Peter, on the other hand, 
arrives just a few moments later and just dashes right in. That's not unusual for Peter if you remember some of the stories about him. He's the one that got out of the boat and tried to walk on the water like Jesus and sunk. Jesus had to lift him up. He rushes in. He looks around. Yep, Mary was right. The body's not here. Then it says, the scripture says this strange thing in John. Peter just kind of looks in, looks around, comes to the conclusion that Mary's right. It says John goes in then and believes. But then it says they were not certain what was going on. They didn't know what scripture said about the resurrection, didn't remember. So they both go back, confused, but certain of one thing, Jesus wasn't there. And then revelation begins. And here's an important point in the story. Sometimes lingering, in fact, I think most of the time, if not all the time, lingering for a moment, several moments, perhaps hours, perhaps days, lingering. Weeping, we're told Mary stays at the tomb. Still grieved, still distressed, still wondering what has happened, what's going on. And she's crying. In the midst of her tears, revelation. She sees messengers from God, angels. They ask her the question, why are you weeping? They've taken my Lord. Then recognition in the midst of revelation. And in the recognition, Mary turns, answers the same question as it's asked by Jesus. She doesn't recognize until she is recognized. Until her name is called. Is there anything for most of us, that's sweeter than the sound of our own name. Doesn't it make you feel good when you go somewhere and you don't think anybody will know you and somebody says, hello, and names your name, calls you by name. And there's something that happens to me that sets me at ease and makes me feel better, that makes me feel affirmed, Somebody knows my name. Mary is called by name, and then she recognizes Jesus. The moment of recognition. And several years ago, a number of years ago, one of my professors, uh, Fred Craddock, shared a story with the class, and he shared this story uh, countless numbers of times over the years in sermons in different churches. An experience that he and his wife had had on a vacation that they took to the Great Smoky Mountains. They were from that area of Tennessee, or from Tennessee. Fred at that time was teaching in Oklahoma, professor at Phillips Theological Seminary. They went to uh, Tennessee back home for vacation. As part of that vacation, uh, touring around, Smokies just enjoying the outdoors, They stopped for breakfast one morning at a place called Black Bear Inn. And when they did, they noticed that there was an older man that was wandering around the restaurant saying hi to everybody and greeting everybody. 
shaking everybody's hand. Fred, to himself, he's, he says, uh, I hope he doesn't come here. I don't want to be bothered. I want to have my breakfast in peace. I'm on vacation. And about the time that he had finished with that thought, there the man stood greeting them. Hi, how you doing? Are you all on vacation? That was the first question he was asked. Yes, we're on vacation. And uh, Fred thought that uh, perhaps if he were acted like he were uh, disturbed or bothered, that the man would catch on and would depart. That was not the case. The man continued. He said, uh, where are you all from? Well, from Oklahoma, but we used to live around this area. Well, what kind of work do you do? Well, I'm a minister in the Christian church. Really? You know, there was a minister in the Christian church that made a huge difference in my life. He was a pastor at Laurel Springs Christian Church. You ever heard of that church? No, no. Can't say that I have. And the man went on to say, when I was a little boy, I was born, circumstances of my birth, my mother was not married. At the time I was born, I was called illegitimate. And I was treated as illegitimate. And I shared my mother's shame. My mother shamed in that community at that particular time in our our culture, shamed. And if you had a child, that child was, was shamed. And he said, that, that's how I grew up. When I was about nine years old or so, for whatever reason, small town, I decided I'd try going to church. But I didn't want anybody to, to know I was there or notice me. So I timed myself very carefully. I'd go in, try to go in right as the sermon started. So nobody could say hello to me when I came in. Nobody could ask me who I was. Nobody could wonder about me. I go in right as the sermon started, and I get up as soon as it was over and try to beat everybody out the door. And I was, I was good at that. Got away with that for several weeks. But then a new minister came. And, and I continued to try that, and I got away with it for about two more weeks. But there was one Sunday where there were so many people that were in the aisle, that had stood up almost immediately because they wanted to say hello to the pastor uh, or be at the door as the pastor came out, that I couldn't get out. I was trapped. And I felt a hand on my shoulder. And there was something that just told me this, this wasn't any hand, but this was the pastor's hand that was on my shoulder. And I turned around and looked at him. And stared into his face. And he stared into mine. And my greatest fear and greatest dread seemed like it was going to happen. He was going to ask me whose child I was. Because he started out by saying, you're a child of. And then he paused. And I thought, here it comes. The shame that I was trying to avoid in the church. The thing that I've been, been dodging for weeks. Here, here it's, it's, it's coming home to roost. I can't get away. He said, you're a child of. And he looked at me, and then he got right down. He looked, he looked right in my face, got down on my level, looked in my face. He said, you're a child of. He said, you're a child 
of your father, God your father. And you resemble him. Go and claim that inheritance. He said that changed my life forever. As he was leaving the table, Fred Craddock said, what's your name? And the man said, Ben Hooper. And then Fred Craddock recalled a story that his father had told him about a man who had been born illegitimately. He had been elected twice governor of Tennessee, named Ben Hooper. You're a child of God, child of the Father. And you resemble him a great deal. Mary's recognized, called by name. In the resurrection moment, the empty feeling that she had, that feeling of distress, that feeling of what else can go wrong, that emptiness turned to joy in that moment of of recognition. Your children of God, children of the Father, claimed by the risen Christ as sons and daughters. Go and live that inheritance. Claim that inheritance. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And he's risen for you and for me. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the grace and mercy we know through Jesus Christ, for the love that is ours. Lord, we thank you that we are your children and that you have promised that nothing can ever separate us from your love. That's ours through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me invite you to turn in your hymnals. Stand as you are able as we sing together our hymn of commitment, Christ Arose.